This should be fun. Hello, everyone. We haven't done the start of the intro yet. This is just our ramble before the <laughs> opening thing. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I thought I'd say hello to everyone anyway. Hi. Hi. That's, yeah, <laughs> Welcome enthusiasm. Welcome to the <laughs> Oh, come on, Trev. Get up with it. I'll try. We're both a bit under the weather, so straight up, before we get into it, we'll do our best. Okay? <laughs> but we love you, so we're doing this for you guys. Indeed. We sound like but hey, it's all good. I have to bleep that out. No, you won't. And you bumped the desk. Did I? Yes. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm just going to run the intro and get on with this. Okay? Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. What the... History. 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 Hello and welcome to What the History, your fortnightly guide with bits of bizarre <laughs> history... <laughs> I've lost it already. Oh, this is a... going to be one of those good one guys. Oh yeah, it, this is, it's a buffet of really cool history stuff. And mm-hmm. so take a few morsels here and there and see what you like. Absolutely, <laughs> and I think I think tonight might be a bit of a history mystery or mystery history or type <laughs> one. You rhymed. I rhymed. Yay! You're clever. <laughs> I don't rhyme all the time. <laughs> oh, boom. Oh, that wasn't good. I think I think we better move on. So, Hi, everyone. <laughs> I am actually afraid to introduce ourselves. Yes. Who are you? I I don't know. Who are you? Who 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 who? Careful. Tell me who are you? Can you get a copyright strike on that? Oh, oh come on! Everyone sings that. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I am Trevor Holland, and I am I am joined by Susie Holland. And yes. As, as for the preamble. We're not the best, so let's move we're on. Not, we're, what Trev means to say is we're not feeling the best right now, but we're getting off our sick beds and doing this for you guys because you, our audience, are wonderful and we love you. So thank you for joining us. Yay. Yay. Let's do this. What have you got? Okay, tonight <laughs> I've got a interesting story that's been banging around in my head. <laughs> For quite some time since I was a child. It's a story about... Well, I'll just start raving on, eh? (laughs) Okay, okay, picture this. Abandoned ship! (laughs) We've all read books and seen movies about where the ship is sinking. The inevitable call goes out to leave the ship as quickly as possible, usually with a lot of people screaming and panicking. Movies like The Poseidon Adventure and Titanic spring to mind at this point for me. How about you guys? But how and why does a ship get abandoned for no apparent reason? All belongings and cargo left behind and cargo that's worth a lot of money. Uh, This all happened in 1872, so this actually did happen. uh, When a ship called the Mary Celeste, an American merchant brig, was found adrift and abandoned off the coast of the Azores in the Atlantic Ocean by David Morehouse, the captain of another brig, the De Gracia. Now, please don't hate me because I maybe mispronounced that. But anyway, um, Captain Morehouse noted the ship's name and became alarmed as the Mary Celeste had departed New York eight days before the De Gracia should have arrived in Genoa in Italy before him, so he changed the De Gracia's course to assist the Mary Celeste, whose sails were found to be full and undamaged. Uh, what the crew reportedly found when they boarded the ship was a few feet of water in the hull, uh, the ship's charts in disarray, a full cargo of commercial alcohol uh, that was going to be used to make wine in Italy, all belongings on board of the captain, his family and crew, six months' supply of food and water, 
one of the two pumps disassembled, a lifeboat missing, and no one on board. Uh, now, the crew of Del Gratia went back to tell Captain Morehouse, who decided to send some crew to sail the Mary Celeste. So, so she was in a very ship-shaped condition to actually be sailed to Gibraltar for a uh, British Vice Admiralty Port Salvage Hearing. Oh, God, say that five times fast. Uh, where salvage payment was given to the De Gratia's crew by the insurers of the Mary Celeste after a trial that went on for over three months. Now, the reason for the length of the time of the trial was that the Attorney General in charge of the hearing, a Mr. Frederick Solly Flood, oh my God, these names, suspected foul play by the crew of the Del Gratia, but found no evidence of this. However, the amount of salvage money received was a reduced amount as the crew was still suspected of being involved with the fate of the Mary Celeste. So, what happened? <laughs> Captain of the Mary Celeste, Captain Benjamin Spooner Briggs, was regarded as a very experienced and well-respected captain by his peers. Now, the Mary Celeste sailed from New York on November 7, 1872, with Captain Briggs, his wife Sarah, their two-year-old daughter Sophia, and seven or eight crew members, depending on which story you read, and they were meant to unload the cargo in Genoa. Now, the ship's log had the last date of entry as November 25th, which had nothing written on it to give reason of the sudden departure of everyone on board except for rough seas. Of note, however, is that during the course of Sally Flood's investigations, it was found that the chronometer on board was faulty, and Briggs may have gotten lost and changed course. But none of this explains why the ship was abandoned. Of course, there's been the usual attempts, like people say, about why she was abandoned from raging from sea monsters, Aliens, mutiny, pirates, etc. And the Mary Celeste cargo was coal in her previous journey, so one of the things I was reading said that perhaps coal dust clogged the pump, and that was the reason why the pump was dismantled. And perhaps Captain Briggs was unsure of how much water was in the reportedly tightly packed hull and was afraid it would sink, and then he called to abandon the ship. Another report said that perhaps the barrels of alcohol leaked, so Captain Briggs was afraid the ship would explode with the fumes. Now, there were nine barrels of alcohol that were found to be empty, and it was also noted that these barrels were made from a different kind of oak because oak was the material that the, um, the alcohol was stored in for travel. There was two kinds of oak on that ship. The red oak, which leaks alcohol, which I don't know why they bothered to use that, as opposed to the white oak, which doesn't, which the other cases of alcohol were stored in. Encased in. That's very good. (laughs) Uh, The halyard rope was found hanging over the edge of the Mary Celeste. That was how it was found, or how she was found, I should say. Perhaps this was tied to the lifeboat as Captain Briggs was waiting for the fumes to dissipate and the rope broke, somehow leaving the boat defenceless in the ocean. Now, this halyard's rope was about three inches in diameter, so I really don't know how all this happened. Um, Like I said, this is just reports. Um, But what is known for sure is the Mary Celeste captain, his family and the crew were never seen again. And the the ship itself sailed for a further 12 years before she was wrecked deliberately off the coast of Haiti as an insurance job. Funny that. (laughs) What the history mystery indeed. And I do have references, as everyone knows. We always mention the references at the end. I know, but I just thought I'd do it just in case. 
Okay. You know me, just in case. And just safety first. (laughs) I forgot to introduce us, so there's a good chance I might forget the endings. And there's a few things we need to mention at the end too. So anyway. So yeah, the mystery of the Mary Celeste. Quite a bit there there that I I hadn't uh, heard before, so. I learned a bit myself. There we go. I hope I've um, taught some other people out there as well. From the mystery of an abandoned ship to the mystery of Polybius. Let's <laughs> see what you did there. I feel like I should have some sort of dramatic music after that statement. Dun, dun, dun. Pro- probably, probably, probably more like when Donkey Kong comes in. Do, 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 do. Um, oh, I like that one better. It's appropriate. It is. There are, there are times when a series of events that don't appear to be directly linked can create something that is so what the history it is remembered long after, even if that creation didn't actually happen. Hmm, I tell. An example of this occurred back, well, an example of this apparently occurred back in the far-off ancient days of 1981. Oh, you cheeky bugger. Look, I was 10 then, so I know how ancient the early 80s were. Oh, come on, I love the 80s. They weren't ancient times. Even though anyway. our children do think that we come from the olden days. Thanks, boys. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> anyway, back then, the video game arcade was all the rage. A number of classic games hit the arcades that year, including Donkey Kong, Frogger, and one of my all-time favourites, Galaga. Yes. I still play that today. And Trevor's awesome on it. Yeah, I get better every yes. time. Yes, and, and me with Centipede. Yes, yes, indeed, but that wasn't an 81 game. Now, the arcades were so hot that in the US alone they made $4.8 billion in that year. Wow. Now, in amongst all this coin-operated decadence of bleeps, bloops, and the striving to get your initials in that top high 10 score list, (laughs) rumours emerged of a video game with some very sinister connotations. Allegedly, there was a game installed in one or two arcades in the suburbs of Portland, in Oregon, USA, and that was getting much attention, not only from what it was doing to the players, but also who was visiting the game and getting info from it. The game was called Polybius. Now, before we go any further, it should be pointed out that the first reports of this game did not appear until 1998, Mm. and the entry on the coinop.org website is now defunct, which should be your first hint about the validity of its existence. But back to the story. Mm. According to... Reports, I hope you heard the air quotes there. Air quotes. The game involved causing colourful geometric shapes to bend and fold around a portal in the centre of the screen. Polybius's graphics and gameplay were allegedly so intense that it caused migraines, seizures, nightmares, and, referred to in dark whispers, maybe even some deaths. On top of all this, mysterious men in black would come to the machine, take note of the high score list, and extract data from the machine for some mysterious purpose. This led to speculation that the game was some sort of CIA brainwashing or mind control experiment, or perhaps even a recruiting tool to find potential cyber soldiers. Within a month, though, the game was gone, with no evidence of its existence being left behind. It's all complete hogwash, of course. Besides the fact that there is no mention of this game prior to 1998, its name alone is enough of a hint. Polybius is also the name of a Greek philosopher who was known for his assertions that historians should never report on what they could not personally verify. (laughs) Yes, a little lesson for us all. So what gave this rumour credence? Why did it seem possible that a game like Polybius could ever have existed? Well, when you look at a series of video arcade-related events that did occur back in the early 80s, 
you find aspects of the story occurring in real life. First up, there were reports of physical reactions to the game. Now, in, a, in the space of about a week, there were three events that really helped cement potential negative impacts of video games uh, into the pop culture of the time, and they all happened in the Portland area. That's a bit sus. Uh, first up, one Michael Lopez experienced his first ever migraine after playing the vector graphic shooter game Tempest. Hot in the heels of this, a 12-year-old named Brian Moreau fell seriously ill after playing Asteroids for 28 hours in an attempt to break the world record on the machine. Barely a week after this, a gamer by the name of Jeff Daly died of a heart attack at 18 after attempting to beat the world record score on Berserk. Uh, yet another marathon gaming session there. Mm. Now, I have played all these games, so don't worry. None of them were Polybius in disguise. And you're still here as well. I am. I am. Good. Thank goodness for that. But what about those sinister government agents? Surely that was a bit far-fetched, even for this story. Well, remember how I mentioned the money video game arcades were making? $4.8 billion, just to remind you. Well, when a lot of money is moving through a place, it can attract less savoury individuals. There were reports of drug-related activities and gambling occurring within arcades, and a number of them were under surveillance. It was not unknown for FBI agents to visit arcades, taking notes of initials on the high score lists, and in some cases, full-scale raids occurred. This was also after details of the US government's MK Ultra program were leaked in 1977, exposing details of experiments in mind control on unsuspecting subjects often leading to terrible side effects, which brings us full circle back to the alleged side effects from playing Polybius. Of course, over time, stories like these have been retold, and they they have grown into urban legends. So by 1998, when details of Polybius were put online, enough stories and legends existed to give it an element of feasibility. Pop culture has also kept the legend of Polybius alive. In 2006, the TV show The Simpsons aired an episode called Please Homer, Don't Hammer'em, where Bart Simpson visits an arcade where there is a polybius cabinet with a very large property of the US government stamp emblazoned on the front. Uh, It's also appeared in the background of a couple of episodes of The Goldbergs in 2014, and in 2016, an unsuccessful Kickstarter project for a film titled The Polybius Conspiracy raised almost 75000 of its targeted $100,000 in pledges. Hmm. Now, as a long-term gamer, I have heard many cautionary tales about playing video games, but the story of Polybius has to be the most what the history of them all. I agree. That That's a pretty interesting story. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's something which did fascinate me. Like, when, when I first heard about it, it's... Every time you first hear about it as a gamer, it's like, is it real? Is it really real? That can't be real. Is it real? Is it real? Uh, and there are people that maintain they have played it still uh, today. Can we track down these people and talk to them? I don't want to. Are they scary? They might be. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, I'll go with you. I'm a gaming widow. I'm not a gamer. Hey, everyone. I'm not a gamer. Um, centipede. Centipede. <laughs> Look, Centipede's the only thing I play, and, you know... And you know how crap I am at that anyway. But I was really good at it in the 80s. I was fantastic at it. I, I put and a lot Donkey of, Kong. I tried Donkey Kong, but it wasn't as good as Centipede. Yeah, I've put a lot of 20 cent pieces into arcade cabinets over the years. Let's put yep. it that way. And uh, that 
on that note, uh, that wraps up this episode of What the History. We hope you enjoyed it. As, as mentioned earlier, we have links to all our sources so uh, down below. I did. <laughs> uh, now, uh, if you would like to get in touch with us, you can head to wth.rufusproject.com and leave a comment below this episode. You can find the What the History podcast Facebook page or head to pod underscore what on Twitter or even just use hashtag WTHpod. I'm trying to make that a thing. Mm-hmm. And um, hopefully you can track us down that way. You will. You will. We're all over Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> now, another big, big, big announcement is that, uh, I suppose, would you call it the parent podcast? Of this, the Rufus Project podcast. Oh yes, the parent podcast. Oh, I thought it was Big Brother. Big Brother. The Big Brother. Yeah, that I, that I do with uh, Orwell's. We'll but, call it Orwell. Please don't. Um, <laughs> it's a podcast I do with cult cinema guru Christian Fletcher. We love you, Christian. Uh, where we watch movies and uh, of uh, of questionable reputations and try to <laughs> redeem them um, over at RufusProject.com. Uh, but uh, if you're fans of What the History, it might be good to listen to the upcoming episode. Absolutely. About the 1980 film Flash Gordon, <gasps> which will have a very special guest, one Susie, joining us, which will also be the third good. birthday episode of The Rufus Project as well. Yay! So that's going to be a big fun one, so definitely tune in to that. I can't wait to watch Flash Gordon again. I love that movie so much. And I can't, I'm not being sarcastic here. I absolutely love that movie. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, head to rufusproject.com if you want to keep an eye on things on that site as well. And yeah, what the history also will be back in about two weeks time yes. with a couple of more bites of bizarre history for your tasting pleasure. Oh, you should see the next one I've got coming up. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Okay. That's all I'm saying. That's Ooh. all I'm saying. So lots to look forward to. (laughs) Thank you again for listening and chat to you next time. Okay. Good night, everyone.